This is Rainmaker FM, the digital marketing podcast network. It's built on the Rainmaker platform, which empowers you to build your own digital marketing and sales platform. Start your free 14-day trial at rainmaker.fm slash platform. That's rainmaker.fm slash platform. Greetings, super friends. My name is Sonia Simone, and these are the confessions of a pink-haired marketer. For those of you who don't know me yet, I'm a co-founder and the chief content officer for Rainmaker Digital. I'm also a champion of running your business and your life according to your own rules. As long as you don't lie and you don't hurt people, this podcast is your official pink permission slip to run your business or your career exactly the way you think you should. By the way, you can always find links to extra resources and additional materials, as well as the complete podcast archive, if you go to pinkhairedmarketer.fm. So today I'm going to dig a little more into some themes from the book that I am working on. And if you want to know more about that project, if you go to pinkhairedmarketer.fm and look for the seven escape pod principles episode, you can find out a little more about that project and about um, some of what it entails. And I wanted to kick off with a very good question that Jonathan Nation left on that post. And the question is this. The one hole I see is something you hit on often, but not in this model. What is success? What is that vision you are striving for? It's sort of implied, but for the long term, it is needed, even if at first success is just trying something or earning an extra $400 per month. So that concept of success, that word success, is something I talk about a lot on this podcast. I talk about it quite a bit on Copyblogger. And you probably have noticed, if you listen regularly, that every week in the intro to this podcast, I specifically talk about running your business and your life according to your own rules. So I thought that Jonathan made a really pertinent point here that we have to start, before we start trying to do things, before we start trying to start maybe a side hustle business that might evolve to something bigger, or before we start trying to do things to make our business work better or our careers, you know, work better, have a better relationship with the people we work with, we have to have some kind of vision for what does it mean for me to be successful And you want to have at least something in mind right from the outset, if you can manage it. So I'm going to switch gears for a second and talk about a story about the Buddha. And the story goes that the Buddha was observing a musician tuning a guitar. Or now that I think about it, since there probably weren't guitars around when the Buddha was walking the earth, it was probably a sitar, a sarod, something like that. And they were talking about how the musician tunes the instrument. So a tight guitar string or a tight sitar string is going to break. If you tune it too tight, um, A, you'll produce an unpleasant sound, and B, the string is going to break. And a loose string just flops around. It doesn't make any sound at all. So you need to tune your string so that it's not too tight and it's not too loose. And this is an expression that comes up a lot when you are learning about Buddhist practice or Buddhist meditation. Not too tight, not too loose. The middle way. That middle way is a major theme of Buddhism. And I found that it happens to be quite good advice for an awful lot of things. 
And wise goal setting is very much about the middle way. So if your vision is too tight, meaning it's too specific, it's too rigid, you have a lot of, you know, do's and don'ts and checklists. If I get this, I'm successful. And if I don't, then I suck. That creates all kinds of problems. First, you're probably not going to get it exactly right, since as far as I know, you do not have a TARDIS and you're not sure what the future is going to bring you. Things happen that we could not predict. Sometimes things happen that we could have predicted, but we didn't. So you have that disappointment if you don't call it correctly. And the classic example of this is the kind of financial goals that most people set in January, especially people who have any intention of having a business or a side business or, or anything like that. So it's not uncommon at all for a goal to be, for example, I will make $100,000 in 2016. So let's say in 2015, you made $50,000. And in 2016, you make $75,000. So that's massive, right? That's massive, massive improvement. And yet there are people who will feel let down and defeated because they didn't make the number. Very often they didn't make a number that, you know, they either just made up, right? It just sounded cool. That's why that $100,000 number gets thrown around a lot because it's round. Or, you know, they had projections that assumed everything was going to go right and nothing was going to go wrong. That's normally how we make predictions as human beings. And of course, it doesn't necessarily work out that way. It's very similar to um, many of us, myself included, always assume that if we're going to drive from our house to downtown, that's going to take the least amount of time it has ever taken. <laughs> you know, I can get downtown in 17 minutes. Well, that's the Best case scenario, I can get downtown in 17 minutes. And worst case scenario, I might want to add five or 10 minutes to that because things happen. And we do that with predictions and we do that with forecasting. We assume the best case scenario and we forget that sometimes life doesn't cooperate. And the other issue with being very rigid about your goals and very, um, you know, you have a goal, you put it out there and then you just pursue it and you don't look to the left and you don't took the to the right and you never make an adjustment. Sometimes you can close doors that might be really interesting and really rewarding. You know, every decision you make in life from what kind of cereal you have this morning to who you get married to, to all the rest of them, closes some doors. That's the nature of things and it's okay and it's natural and it's good. But ideally, it's nice to close as few doors as you can get away with. Leave some room for interesting accidents and interesting possibilities. So for our 2016 financial goal, maybe, you know, by December of this year, you make the precise same amount of money that you did last year, but you've moved to some really beautiful place that has a lower cost of living and your life is totally immeasurably better. So in the scheme of things, right, let's adjust the goal to match a, a greater vision, which is being fulfilled, having a good life, being with your family, whatever it is. Or maybe you make less money than you made in 2015, but you were able to quit the job that you hate. You were able to get some kind of a job that you love. You're able to make the finances work. You know, you sold your house and live on a sailboat. I don't know. But again, victory unlocked, right? If we can have a more curious and flexible 
attitude of looking for the wins and being open to accepting different kinds of wins, then goal setting um, just tends to work a lot better. So right around this time, somebody's going to throw the word out, excuses. If you ever make adjustments to a goal, somebody will tell you, you're just making excuses. Now, I personally have never found this to be a helpful observation. I'm trying to think of when this has ever been helpful in my experience, you know, not too often. Now, it can be a conversation that you might have with yourself. You know, it does happen that you realize that maybe you're rationalizing staying with some toxic current situation because it seems too hard to make a change. You know, so if you're telling yourself, you know, I think I might be just making excuses here, that's legit. And another person who might be a person you could have the conversation with and it would be productive, maybe would be your therapist, you know, who might help you to sort of look at it and try and get some objectivity and see, is this a case of adjusting my goal or, or am I making excuses to stick with something that's really not serving me? But if I can make a suggestion, I do not find this a word that is particularly helpful to use with other people. Try and keep your eyes on your own path. And if you do hear somebody throw that one at you, you know, just remember that for every one of us on this planet, it's a whole lot more comfortable and it's a whole lot more simple to judge somebody else than it is to work on our own stuff. We've all been there. So just got to kind of roll your eyes and keep going. But there is, of course, that flip side of the too tight sitar string, and that's the too loose string. It does sometimes happen that that string of your goal setting is tuned a little looser than it should be. So just like the the musical instrument string is not going to make any sound if it's adjusted so that there's no tension at all, you are highly unlikely to see the improvements that you would like to see if there is zero tension in your situation. So I have been rereading Kelly McGonigal's book, The Upside of Stress. It's easy to Google, or she also has a TED Talk if you just want to kind of hit the highlights. And of course, I'll give you a link in the show notes, as I always do. A lot of us hold back from doing big work, big projects, you know, the kind of work that makes our heart beat faster. We hold off because we feel like we can't take the stress. We feel like we already have too much stress. We already feel like it's, it's harming us and we can't take on anymore. So the most important thing here is that you know you. So I am not going to sit here and talk you into taking on more stress than you can manage because that would be a probably impossible and be completely ridiculous. But you may want to play around with the idea that some level of stress and also some kinds of stress might be much healthier part of your life than you might have made room for in the past. One of the key things that McGonagall talks about in her book is that there are multiple kinds of stress defined by different neurochemical responses that happen in the body. And those responses will tend to be triggered by different kinds of situations. So chronic, relentless stress that you have no control over and that has no meaning is in fact quite unhealthy. And maybe not coincidentally, this is precisely the kind of stress that researchers impose on rats when they're doing studies about stress. But very thankfully, you are not a lab rat. So how you think about and how you interpret your stress statistically has a really actually very intriguing impact on how that stress affects your health. 
And not all stress responses are fight or flight. We've all heard that term, fight or flight. But there's actually a number of different stress responses that we have evolved to face different kinds of scenarios. It's much more common in a situation like maybe you're doing some kind of challenging, meaningful work that takes you out of your comfort zone without actually, you know, threatening to harm you. That is what's sometimes called a challenge response, you know, where we pick up more energy to do this thing that needs to be done. If you've ever given a a talk, you will have felt the challenge response, that extra adrenaline you feel right before you're going to go on stage. A lot of athletes feel the challenge response before a game and especially before an important game. And some students, and in particular students who test well, will have that challenge response before they go into an exam. They've got a little more adrenaline. They've got a little more kind of neurochemicals sharpening their responses quickening their responses, and actually improving their outcomes. And according to the research that McGonagall has pulled together from, and she, you know, she has quite a few studies that she's looking at, that type of challenge response is much less damaging to your heart. It's just associated with neurochemistry that does not have the same kind of damage that the fight or flight response does. Chronic fight or flight, you know, is is not good for you. Um, Once in a while, it's fine. But if you're doing it every day, that, you know, that's bad for you. And there's actually another documented stress response that researchers refer to sometimes as tend and befriend. And that's associated with the release of a hormone called oxytocin. You may have heard of this. It's the cuddle hormone or the love hormone. Certain kinds of stressful situations and certain kinds of ways of thinking about stressful situations make people bond together, um, bring people together. It's what pulls people together after a major disaster. And interestingly, oxytocin has um, some real benefits to your heart health. So the takeaway is not necessarily like, yay, stress is awesome, but that if you try and frame things so that A, you're thinking about stress in certain ways, and um, B, you do what you can to maximize the benefits of stress, then it may be a very positive thing. And One of the points that she makes in the book that I thought was well made is that meaningful lives tend to be lives with stress events in them. Having a life with meaning and juice and value and excitement and connection and where you're making a difference, this is not like lying on the beach drinking pina coladas. Now, some of that is awesome, but a life of that isn't really very fulfilling. So it's a good read if you like sciencey stuff. If you do not like sciencey stuff and you find all that neurotransmitter stuff tedious, you can just hit her TED Talk for the highlights, and that'll give you some things that you can actually use. So the odds are good because you're a human living in the modern industrial, post-industrial world that you have a lot of stress today. You know, you have a lot of stress events. You have a lot of those moments when your heart is beating faster. It just might be beneficial to you to play with the idea that there could be a way you might shift the rules and play a game, even if it's part-time at first, that's better aligned with your values and that gives you more freedom over your circumstances and the kind of stress you're experiencing. And just exploring that 
might make your life better, and it could help shift some of that negative stress to something that's more beneficial and rewarding. So I mentioned values a couple of times there, and um, the role of values is very important when you are looking at this kind of issue of, you know, how can I switch my life around a little bit so that, okay, I'm stressed, but it's the positive, beneficial kind. Here's a quote I found very, very interesting from McGonagall's book, just a quick quote. It turns out that writing about your values is one of the most effective psychological interventions ever studied. End quote. And then there's like, you know, 50 foot footnotes. And this is one I have mentioned before. It's such a fast tweak, so I just want to kind of cover it really quick because it's one of the quickest things you can do. Now, I find this um, very helpful to do like right before I go to sleep because it helps you relax, it helps you feel good, and it helps put your head in a good place. And so that fast tweak or that thing you can do is to connect with your own values. And I'll explain what that means because that's kind of a floppy, smushy kind of a sentence. First and foremost, it doesn't matter if the values that we're talking about are conservative or liberal or Eastern or Western or urban or rural or industrial or non-industrial. And they also don't have to be something that you're good at today. So for example, maybe one of your values is family, but right now, you know, that might not be optimal. Families are complicated and messy. Sometimes they're not optimal. That's totally okay. In fact, even if you're blowing it, like really blowing it with your family, it can still be one of your values for this exercise because values are about what you care about and not necessarily about what you're really magnificently awesome at right now. So the important thing with this exercise is to connect with what matters about your life, connect with what you feel gives your life meaning. And that is defined by you and only you. One thing you can do is you can map out, okay, how did this thing that I did today reflect on my values? And that's, that's totally okay. Of course, you want to start by, by choosing some values, right? Choose from, I can give you a list of, uh, of values, pick, you know, three or four that are really, really meaningful to you. I don't personally like that exercise of going through and mapping out, okay, how did this action that I took today reflect my values? Or how does, you know, the podcast I'm recording today reflect my values? Because I just always find that exercise very stiff and very clunky. And because I find it stiff and clunky, I don't do it. The version that works better for me, and so you can try it out and see if you feel the same, is I make time regularly to reflect on what my values are, both just in my head, like before I go to sleep or on paper. So what do these values mean to me? How do I define compassion? How do I define family? And then if they've come up during the day or the week, I can definitely tie it back to that, but only if it feels natural. The important part is to connect myself to meaning, not to try to play like a match the values game with every single action that I take, because I find that that can get kind of exhausting. And if it's exhausting, I'll just tend to not do it. Apparently, one of my values is not perseverance against all discomfort. (laughs) So connecting with your values in this way, to think about them and then to spend some time to reflect on them and, and write a few things, a couple of paragraphs, that's easy and it's energizing. It's actually very refreshing. It can really help you reframe things. And according to the research that McGonagall has pulled together, it actually lasts a surprisingly long time. 
you know, just writing about your values once can have a significant impact on your outcomes for weeks or months or sometimes even years. So I'm a big fan of keeping this simple. Just maybe write out a few paragraphs about your values and why they matter to you. And maybe only do one at a time, you know. So maybe sometime later today, you take the one that just really leaps to mind. You know, you know what it is. You don't have to look at anybody's list. You know exactly what it is. And just write a couple of paragraphs about what that value means to you. You know, if it's um, your faith or your family or um, peace or integrity, whatever it might be. So it's just spending a little time to remember what your values are and then think about them with a little bit of nuance. You know, I I try not to make this something that's just sort of a checklist. Yep, yep. You know, I, I try and think about it with some nuance, with some richness, really let myself be with it. So we're talking today about goals and vision. And when you feel connected to your values, to the ideas that give meaning to your life, that really sharpens your goals and your vision in a way that's very productive. And, you know, sometimes they also help reveal goals that might be on your list that are, they're okay, they're not wrong, but they're just more of a fun kind of a toy. You know, it's it's not a bad thing to want a particular car. It's not a bad thing if you want a particular material thing. You can have, you know, me and art supplies is like the object lust, you know, celebration of all time, you can have some treats. And if you can have your treats and preserve the meaning in your life, then go for it. But treats don't give you any kind of lasting emotional payoff, really. So if you pursue the toys and the treats at the expense of your values, that's when they become a prison. And we see it. We see it all the time. You see people who are so caught up in the markers. They're so caught up in the signs of success that true success, which would be living a life that's worth living according to your own values, starts to drain away. And it's it's a strange thing, but it happens. And it happens more often than it should. So just that simple, energizing, refreshing exercise of taking a little bit of time to reconnect with your values is how you can protect yourself from that and how we can make sure that the richness stays in our lives. So those are the thoughts today on goal setting. Just a heads up that this podcast is going to continue with a new episode every Monday in July, and then it's going to take a hiatus for about a month in August. Um, One, because my family is going to be embarking on a bit of an adventure and we need a little bit of um, time and bandwidth and time to find good internet. And B, because the podcast is going to be moving to a new uh, website. And in fact, I believe we're going to be starting up a new iTunes account because so far we have not managed to convince the nice people at Apple to um, transfer an iTunes account from one person to another. So the way that we're going to manage that is that you can always find the podcast at pinkhairedmarketer.fm. And you can always find me on Twitter at at Sonia Simone. But I I do think I'm going to have to rebuild that iTunes audience. Um, So if you do like the podcast, then I am going to be hitting you up fairly heavily to help me find the listeners and reconnect them and sustain the community. So I hope that you will... um, if you feel so moved that you'll join me in that work and kind of have a bit of a podcast raising party to um, relaunch it and relaunch the audience. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and your attention. And I'll catch you next week. Take care.